You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to this week's Attacking Scrum podcast. Absolutely bucket loads to get through this week. We've got the Welsh Derbies to look back on. We've got Heineken Cup and Challenge Cup rugby next week as well. And what two cheery folks could uh, could make this weekend even better than two men on the losing side this weekend. Myself being a dragon, uh, a little bit of hope there for, for one small moment, but ended up on the defeated side. And a man who's always known for his melancholy tones on this podcast, Justin George, Osprey supporter, joins us as well. How are you doing, Justin? I'm suitably miserable. Thank you very much, Chad. I would expect nothing less. And uh, yeah, we can look forward to a, to a melancholic half an hour or 45 <laughs> minutes or so coming up. We're going uh, to jump straight in in one moment. As always, quick uh, word for our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Um, make sure you head over to socoffeetrades.co.uk to get your hands on some top quality coffee at very reasonable prices. And we'll be catching up with uh, with Scott Otten, of course, the Osprey's hooker and uh, the founder of So Coffee Trades very, very soon. And uh, uh, he's had a very good start to the season, actually, as well. Something something, uh, something that you can cheer, uh, I suppose, there, Yeston. Um, yeah, he's sharp, isn't he? He's played really, really well. Um, I mean, Dave... There's, there's a lot, uh, in an uncharacteristic mood, uh, there's a lot to be, you know, there's a lot to be happier about, happier <laughs> about. And um, definitely he's, he's looked very, very dynamic. And um, I think uh, that, you know, it's, the front row isn't, isn't sort of the sort of front row that would scare any uh, Heineken Cup giants, but they're functioning. So that's good. It is, and we'll, we'll come on to, uh, to talk about the Ospreys course in due course, but we're going to start uh, with a bit of fallout from, from the Dragons game, and the first one is this, Justin. Ross Moriarty just needs to calm down, fact or fiction. I grew up watching his uncle play. <laughs> um, it was certainly Richard, who, who uh, certainly, I used to 
used to be slightly embarrassed from time to time because he was quite he was a mean man in on the pitch. I had no idea what he was like off it, um, but uh, reputation preceded him in in all areas. I think uh, yes, some discipline is required, obviously, and we only have to look back to the Argentina game um, in the summer. But I I think it's just part and parcel. You, you need somebody with who's not going to be amiably patting people on the mm. on the back. Um, Alan Wynn's never, you know, Alan Wynn and Jake Ball going toe-to-toe was quite an exciting thing, the other, you know, as well. Uh, whereas Bradley tends to be getting more and more amiable as he goes, isn't he? Uh, but, I, I, yeah, you don't see, I think, I'm all for it. I'm all for niggly, fiery people but yeah but there are times when he doesn't do himself or his team any favours. Yeah it's something we've covered on this quite a bit as you mentioned obviously it was the, the chokehold thing against uh, Argentina in the summer and then we got a bit of petulance at the start of this season and then he was very outspoken about Johnny Sexton uh, the other week which was reported in the paper so it's something we covered on here quite a bit and generally I'm like you I, I'm all for seeing the you know the the fire and the the fury, so to speak. I like watching, you know, a player who is, who looks unhinged out there a bit at times. But the thing that, that, that worried me a bit with yesterday is it was more niggly with the ref. And actually, to be perfectly honest, he should have been binned. There was a couple of times with a back chat where I think they would have been perfectly within their rights and probably should have gone, gone to his pocket and, and sent him away to the to the cooler for five minutes because you had, you know, you had them penalised, uh, penalised at the scrum. Ross gave a bit of back chat. They got marched back 10 metres. And then the ref called his name three or four times. He obviously heard it, didn't turn around, and then gave a bit more. And I just think, you know, you, you don't want to tone any of that aggression on the pitch, but it's never going to help you out when it's directed in the, in the, in the ref's favour. You know, if it's, if it's the, next, uh, the next phase of play and Gareth Anscombe takes a big hard hit to the ribs, well, that's the, that's the kind of thing that's, that's going to spur you on. So, I don't know, for the first time, I'm starting to think, yeah, maybe, maybe Ross does need to calm down a bit. And you, there's a lot of diplomacy around uh, the back rows of Wales these days, isn't there? Because mm. the Tipperick seems very, very good at, uh, at transgressing without uh, causing offence. And obviously, I, I imagine Alice Jenkins has taken a leaf out of Sam's yeah. book in terms of um, developing a, a, a rapport a, a narrative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, it's uh, yeah, maybe he was playing in another position and he wasn't quite, it's difficult for a, when a back row forward is calling the scrums, you know, it's, you, you do think, no, you know, leave it to, leave it to the big boys to, um, to, to tell the referee or, or, or give them a scent, you know, a withering glare rather than, you know, shout the odds, definitely. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right on that one. But it'll be interesting to see how it goes and whether it does affect him kind of going into, going into the autumn. And we've actually had loads of listeners' questions come through this week, which we'll be answering in part two of the show. So we've got more back row chat, particularly with a, with a Wales hat on when we come into the second part of the show. But let's move things into the back department now. And this is point number two, Yestin. Lee Halfpenny is close to being back to his very, very best, fact or fiction? He certainly... <laughs> no. <laughs> to, 
just because his very, very best was outstanding and he was still he was devastating going forward and he's still not quite the full package when it comes to comes to that. He nearly got away from Owen Watkin yesterday and you thought, come on, you know, even as a even as a jack I was thinking <laughs> if he steps in and goes that'll be great. But um he didn't Watkin managed to swat him with one of his ginormous arms. Uh <laughs> I don't know, do you think do you think he's near his best? I think he's making a massive improvement. I, I put it this way. I think if this, let's say Lee Halfpenny was, was 22, you know, if anyone else was playing this level of consistency that he started the season with and looking so good under the high ball, great goal kicking, brilliant defensively and showing little glimpses of counter-attacking, I think you'd be saying, this guy is fantastic. He has to start for Wales and he has to start at 15. But he does have a certain degree of baggage with him because... You know, again, almost in the same way that Jamie Roberts had that baggage of just being, you know, just crashing the ball up and crashing the ball up. And when that game plan stopped working for Wales, he almost became the a bit of a scapegoat for it. I kind of think, you know, Lee's fallen into that mould. And I, you know, I said at points last season and certainly the season before, where he wasn't. It looked as though he'd lost that that kind of burst of pace that he had, and he his first instinct was to go into defensive moulds. Uh, and, and Dan's always been very quick to stick up for Halfpenny just because his defensive positioning is so good. So, no, I don't, I don't think he's back to his, his best yet because I think his best was that 2013 vintage when he actually had the counter-attack and he was, he was breaking the line for the Lions. I think that was his absolute imperious best. But it's only because his, his standards are very high. I think he started the season really well and he looks, he looks um, every inch a quality player again. I think you you make a, a really good argument in terms of I wouldn't think twice about him playing at 15 for Wales no. now, and that wouldn't have been the case. But then that's as we as we discussed back then, it was a, as much to do with the, the dearth of attacking or creativity around. So n- now that it appears that there are more options, then uh, halfpenny fits in better, doesn't he? Which is which is exactly what he does at Scarlets, really. But do you? Um, because there was an interview with Warburton on uh, on on the BBC, and mm. it was interesting that he looked back and said, "You know, I was kind of on fire in 2011." And you've t- you've mentioned this a lot a lot of times that players, you know, they they're actually that's quite weird, isn't it, to to point out that your best days were were seven years ago, mm. um, even when you're you know you captured the Lions twice you know it's remarkable and i think we 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 just expect players to get better and better and better that's right um, yeah and it doesn't it doesn't always work out that way you know sam warburton was a fantastic player age 22 and arguably that probably was the best he ever played you know and yeah. that was bang 10 out of 10 best and very often he hit nines but it just wasn't quite that same thing and you know, you look at the same with George North because a lot of these players broke through when they were very, very young and they looked so mature mm. at that stage that it is difficult to to kind of get back to the, the high standards that they've they've set. And I think particularly players like Halfpenny and Warburton, who are they're they're such meticulous trainers and set their their own standards so very, very high that in a way that almost kind of damages the way you look at them. You know, in the same way that Johnny Wilkinson was always scrutinised more than, more than most players when he was playing for England because he'd set, the, he'd set the standards so high almost by himself. 
It's odd because you think, do you think that a, a player deserves their international place on the basis of the accrued experience and even if they're not at their best? That's, that's the odd thing, isn't it? You've got to mm. be the, the fact is that you, in, you envisage that like 15 best players will be, all of them will be at the very peak of their form. But that's just totally unrealistic. But it's what, sometimes it's what we expect. It is. And I, th- I think we're getting better at, at picking on form because we have more players now in certain positions who are, you know, who are kind of up to the task. I think for so long, and you know, it, under Gatland's period, Gatland's period as coach as well, for so long there's been players who he trusted to be able to deal with the intensity of international rugby and players that he didn't. And that meant at times keeping players in there who were bang out of form. Obviously, Alex Cuthbert is the is the probably the the prime example of it. And I think that I think in a way that ruined Alex Cuthbert's international career. I think he you know at that point he had to be he had to be dropped and go back and, and concentrate on playing club rugby and just getting that form back. You know, arguably you can say the same about Reese Priestland and and so you know it's difficult. I think we're getting better now. Personally, I don't like putting players in when they're really bang out of form. You know, Halfpenny for the last couple of years, yes, he hasn't set the world on fire by his own high standards, but he never really looked like letting Wales down on on those occasions. You know, he wasn't. There, there weren't many games where it looked like Halfpenny was going to cost cost us the game. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's always a cross between picking on form and picking on the experience and the quality that you know players have. But I, I personally don't like seeing players in there when they're really out of form. With that in mind, where do you put George North at the moment? Oh, I think George is getting close. And we did this on either the first or second podcast of the season where we had, uh, where we had Steph Thomas on to, to chat about, um, about George North. And we said then, you know, again, you couldn't say he was back to his best purely because his best was very, very high in, in 2013. And, but George is playing brilliantly. I think he's been, he's, he's hit the, the ground running at, uh, at the Ospreys and, and I think he's given them a big, you know, a big boost. And yeah, he, he's nailed on to start in the autumn for me. Absolutely. And he just looks like he's, He's not just smashing into players now. He does look for that bit of space. He'll look to get the half yard knowing that his fend is too strong and he's a difficult man to bring down. I, th- I think he's, he's really looking every inch the quality player that he is for me. Yeah, well, he's certainly, you know, he's certainly in the best place to, to kind of take advantage of the opportunity, isn't he? He's, he's, you know, he's getting plenty of ball as well. He's in the action all the time. Um, I'm a bit worried about him coming again injuries yesterday but he seems yeah. to ride them and carry on but but um yeah he's was that a, was the, that a try in the thick of it. <laughs> was that a try yeah yes <laughs> <laughs> but i totally understand why the world and it's like the uh, western west side of lacherestery uh, <laughs> thought not um I was surprised how unequivocal the TMO was. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have liked to have had to make that decision. No, I, 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 I think that's one way you're looking for the question to be, uh, to be any reason why I cannot award the try. And then yeah. you could probably, you know, he's taking a little bit of the pressure off you. But um, yeah, that was, a, that was a difficult one. Let's, let's move on and talk about the, yeah. talk about the Ospreys now. 
And uh, the question, or the, the statement rather, is this. Despite the loss, Ospreys are heading in the right direction, fact or fiction? Unequivocal fact. Okay, right. Um, I'm, I'm having been a miserable git for <laughs> two, three seasons. I just, it's just really nice to see players uh, playing to a standard that's, you know, playing, playing decent rugby, but also, you know, playing, not being, sort of just coming into a team with their heads down and playing with a kind of introvert, you know, almost introverted, pointing to, say, Corey Allen, you know, came, yeah. came, came in yesterday and looked really sharp and ran great lines, uh, had an absolute handful. I mean, Kieran Frontier has befits any centre who seems to leave um, the Ospreys turns into a far more com combative, powerful kind of individual. And they, they had to, you know, he had his hands full. So I thought that was great. I thought James had played safe, didn't do anything daft, was, you know, secure. You know, losing Dan Evans is a big deal, big deal. And for him to... You know, obviously, he's got all the experience in the world, but he also just looked tidy. It's 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 the reason why a player like Tom Pridey looks great in the in the Scarlets team. It's because the team plays well yeah. and the team knows what it's doing. It's not because you know Pridey's re rediscovered his confidence as a result of the team ethic, and it looks to me like most of the James King looks very dynamic. You know, he's never been short of. Uh, you know, throwing his head in the, the, all the all the horrible places, but he just seems, you know, he seems strong, powerful. They, they seem they they all seem to be playing much better, and as an as a unit, know what they're doing. Obviously, frustrating when they're carrying the ball one up, one up, one up, and eventually they lose it. But the the ability to spread the ball wide and and hurt teams is. They'll get more. Hopefully, they'll, they'll gain more confidence in that area. And they also look. The forwards look like they can handle the ball better. You know, they're, they're passing the ball better. They're, they're being. They're making fewer mistakes in that area, considering you know the conditions are not. Uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, they can. You know, it's not easy under the in in the the conditions being at the intensity of the game yesterday. I, I thought the. Um I thought the pack generally went well. I, I think, yeah, you, as you alluded to there, there was a big ding-dong the, between the, the respective second rows. And I thought that was good, that was good to see because, you know, as, as we've said on here numerous times, I think the Ospreys need that, that go forward. You know, no, no side really can ever wants to have a, a pack that's going backwards. But you look at someone like Cardiff, and Cardiff actually can feed a little bit more on scraps because they they just do have so many dangerous players in the back line. I always think the Ospreys are one of those teams who just need the, the go forward. And with their packs seeming to get back to, to what you've expected from Ospreys packs in the past, I, I think that's an encouraging sign, kind of, and with a fair few wins under the belt already in the season. I'm quite surprised the front row has worked, not, not because of the individual players, but because it's relatively, you know, Nicky Smith being the only sort of permanent fixture there for three seasons or more. Um, mm. and, ple and it shows that they've worked really, really hard. Owen Watkin looks, looks authoritative, doesn't he? You know, he he's doesn't been, look he's like been mighty impressive. Yeah. I, I don't think he, uh, he gave 
you know, he gave a, an awful lot, particularly in that first half. I thought he was really strong. And those, you know, those strips that we've become so used to seeing Scott Williams do over the years, Owen yeah. Watkins seems to have that exact same skill. And I just think those things are so, so important because, again, games where you're under the pump, the ability to be able to just nick the ball, you know, it's like having an extra back row forward out there, isn't it? It's, it's being able to, to steal ball that you're not expected, take the pressure off, and on a, in an ideal scenario, you know, you get a bit of um, opportunity to counter-attack with it. And I was really, really impressed with him. Uh, yeah, and I think, obviously, Fonatier stole the kind of stole the headlines because he was on the winning side, but I thought first half in particular, Owen Watkins went really, really well. And they, there are several, you know, the playing, Samson Lee, I think, is playing his best rugby for ages. If not, he's certainly handling the ball in the loose better than he's ever done before, and he looks really dangerous. When, you, when you're facing Wynne Jones, Ken Owens, and Samson Lee, you are, you know, you're going to go backwards mm. at some point. It's just inevitable. And I just thought they never, they, they were canny, obviously, and they, there was a lot of, it seemed that every Ospreys managed the fact that they turned every breakdown into chaos rather than competition. Ospreys turned it into a messy game, but they did that. Evidently, that was part of the game plan, and that mm. was something that that worked for them. And was it cynical? Yeah, of course it was. Um, and Nigel Owens might somebody another referee might have punished them more severely. I don't know, but I, it was. It was it was a really good performance, and, and the, it, w- it would have been, and it wouldn't be. I don't think it would have been fair for Scarlett to have lost, but it was it was good that Ospreys competed that that well. You know, they 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 are going to be better on their travels, hopefully in Europe, and that will I think that will strengthen their. Hopefully they'll take it seriously and it will strengthen their strengthen the squad you know strengthen the attitude within the squad because they should be much more confident about um about how they're going about their business now and it's really i'm i'm impressed i'm genuinely impressed right well we got to uh, we've got to talk about the scarlets and also cardiff blues still as well and we'll be doing that along with answering listeners questions and looking ahead to not only the heineken cup and the challenge cup but also the Autumn International. So all of that is coming up in the second part of the show after this very, very short break. Right then, two to go on Fact or Fiction. And I want to start with this one, actually. And this is a bit of a, this is a, bit of a curveball for you, Justin. And the statement is this. Ollie Robinson is fast becoming one of Cardiff Blue's best ever signings, fact or fiction? Oh, it's difficult to say best ever, but he's certainly in the shorter in the shorter term he's he's been remarkable. Mm. I think in terms of uh, the most uncelebrated success, I, th- I, I would I would agree. Uh, he's yeah he's he's been. Utterly remarkable, really. And even when, even when the rest, even when the rest of the back row isn't functioning 100%, he always is. That's the, that's the, that's the big difference. When when it's horrible, he seems to just somehow still manage to function. Uh, and that that doesn't. There are very few players who are mm. able to to do that. 
And yeah, the, the kind of the reason I've picked this out, as always with these factual fictions, they they always border on being slightly contentious, just to just to to prompt that bit of debate. But yesterday in in commentary, I don't know if you, you picked this one up or not, but Sam Warburton was uh, was saying, obviously a player who will have will have seen Ollie Robinson play quite closely at uh, at Cardiff Blues. And he was saying, you know, if England are short of a seven, they could do worse than have a look at, at Ollie Robinson. And do you know what? <laughs> As you know, you and I like to, well, particularly me, but whenever I get you on, I like to say that there's 10 Welsh sevens who would, uh, who would walk into the England side. Um, and I think this is perhaps just my way of, uh, of adding insult to injury by saying that, that your, best, your best choices for sevens are players like Sam Underhill and Ollie Robinson who've, who've, uh, who've developed uh, while playing in Wales. But there's, there's no denying just how, how good over the ball he is and um, just a, a tough unit. He's, you know, it's, it's not just his facial characteristics that remind you of his old man. He, he does play like, um, like Andy Robinson, who himself was, a, was quite an, an underrated back row forward and, again, probably remembered for, for being cut in half by Dale McIntosh, but was a, was a damn good player in his own right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, what do you think? How do you think um, Josh Navidi is progressing? Um, it's so difficult because every time we seem to kind of debate Josh Navidi, I always just, you know, I love, I love watching him play. I love how wholeheartedly committed he is. And every time he gets in that Wales squad, I think, oh, it just is he, is he a club player? Is he good enough to? And every time he he proves me he proves me wrong because he he just seems to be able to punch above his weight every time i think possibly the the problem with josh is his versatility kind of is a little bit his his detriment i think he wants to play seven and the problem with that is at cardiff Blues you have robinson you have uh, ellis jenkins who are undoubtedly both sevens really i think um and before that, you had you had Warburton as well. So, so Josh has played a lot at eight. You know, six. I think he's. You know, again, we've said at times. You know, is he a six? I, I just don't know whether that that is kind of the problem that he's he's almost so versatile that he he doesn't seem to to get a, a straight run in a in any one of those given shirts. Um, it's funny, isn't it? Certain players have to prove themselves every time. Yeah, and it, it's it's. Because perhaps you know they have different physical characteristics, or they're less spectacular but more effective. He's one of those players that he, he must just look at every new season, going, "Oh, everybody's going to just yeah, going to going to under underestimate, underrate me, and I've got to prove it time and time and time again." Or, or he probably doesn't think about it at all because he seems to be impervious to any kind of uh, sort of ups and downs of form or anything like that but would you pick him in front of Ross Mariotti for instance at six at international level I don't think I would um, it's just so difficult it really is difficult because I, I think you know, I've watched him play a lot now he probably is a seven but as mentioned we've just got so many and we haven't mentioned the guy you know guy who was wearing a seven shirt for the Dragons this, yeah. this weekend Ollie Griffiths was phenomenal you know at times he kept the Dragons in the game by winning turnover ball carrying hard for a guy who again you know isn't you know I know he's played a bit at eight but he was reliant they were reliant on him to, to truck the ball up the middle a fair few times as well you know there's, there's just so many sevens uh, in Wales that I'd yeah I'd, I'd go with Navivi I, I really would I just think you could almost you can 
you can put your house on him and I I think I think it works all the time for mm-hmm. Wales. I, I would I would you'd think you if you thought about starting with Navidi and having Moriarty on on the bench, you you'd think here we go again, Eddie Jones's finishers, which is obviously slightly less of a credible <laughs> a credibility gap there now. <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's, but still, you, you could be right, and um, and actually, we've we've had a couple of a couple of questions relating to the back row, so we'll we'll definitely discuss this in a okay. bit more uh, in a bit more depth in a sec. But let's um let's finish on this one, um, and so this kind of brings it back to the Scarlets, and and also ties into Wales as well. So if Wales are serious about playing expansive rugby, then Patchell must start at ten during the Rugby World Cup. Fact or fiction? Fiction, not because. Not because it's it's not just about Patchell, I don't think. It, it, it does. I I have I am is causing a lot of stress in my head, in my tiny brain, <laughs> to try and work out what's best. And that you know, Anscom being a player who is now regularly playing at ten and playing very well, Patchell still playing. You know. Having a having a defining influence on the games he plays all the time, but I just I don't think it's all about it's Patchell or Best, and I think that's a good thing because we've we how many tens have we had in the past from from my childhood onwards with Di Richards <laughs> um, that we that we always said it was there's only two there's two ways to play. And you either kick the leather off the ball mm. or you run it like crazy. And I think there are there are more tens with more kind of complementary skills now. I think I, I would really be disappointed if um, bigger played. Uh, I, I just the November surely. I, I, yeah, I don't. I don't think there's a huge three, amount. I don't think there's a huge amount to be gained by picking bigger. at you know in these in these games in. In November, because you've got one year to go, or you know, less than a year, to the to Rugby World Cup, and you're not going to get as much opportunity to experiment during during the Six Nations. I think for me, this is the time to give Patchell a proper run, and against Southern Hemisphere opposition as well. You know, the Scotland game is a bit of a weird kind of um, it's a bit of an anomaly, isn't it? Playing Scotland yes. in the autumn, and I know obviously it's for a very good cause, and I go into that one and looking forward to it. But I think that the two real big tests are, you know, if South Africa bring a bring a decent side over, that's going to be meaningful. And finally, putting to bed Australia, you know, you have to go into that game and do it. And I, I think there is pressure on that game, and I want to see how Rhys Patchell deals with it. For me, I think you know you talk about tens with different assets to their game. I think Patchell's got the lot now. I, I do. You know, I think the only thing you could say is, is possibly do the, do the opposition gain yards when they run at him. I think his defence is good and it's, you know, he's, he is a big lad at 10, but he's, you know, he's certainly not an Owen Farrell smashy back 10 yards in, in defence. Um, but for me, you know, I think he's got, I, I think he's got the lot and he just seems to have developed that, that maturity now. Like we saw Dan Bigger do, um, at similar stage in his career, as we saw Stephen Jones do at similar stage in his career, of just having that ability to to know what's right at the right time, and just I think his skill set, you know, his his passing ability is is fantastic, and these little deft kicks over to one side. I I don't know. I, I think ten is such an important position, and 
I don't think he I don't think he just runs it all the time now. I think he's got um, he's got much better in terms of his game management, and that I think comes down to having someone like Stephen Jones be that that coaching influence at at the Scarlets. So for me, I, I don't know. I'd be I, I would be building a back division around him. Well, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with anything you say. It's just that it, it's whether it's horses for courses and whether sometimes you you put Anscombe in the team when mm. he's on song or when there's a certain game that they've decided to play and also have a look at people beyond Anscombe, Patchell and Bigger as well. Yeah, I mean, that, is there a case for, and I know he hasn't played much rugby of late, but Jared Evans coming in as the as the third ten with yes with would you would you yeah would you look at that in yeah I I just I absolutely I absolutely would he he I'd love to see him having a season in the squad and having some time to play it just seems in our in our, in my doom laden world that you are so happy to tell the, <laughs> the listeners about that well, you know it, it only takes a couple of cruciate knee ligament operations and suddenly you're and we 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 were there we've been there before yeah i was there and in the stadium that very day when <laughs> when when webb and everybody. halfpenny both went down and the yeah it was like a a, a funeral atmosphere in there thereafter uh, yeah, you're you're right. You know that's it. I, but I, I do think in, in Jared Evans there is a a real mercurial talent, and it, for me that's the question mark over Anscombe is I'm not convinced he's Cardiff's best ten. I think that I think I think he's they're fantastically complementary when they when they play ten and fifteen together because I think you can play left and right playmakers, and you can switch him into the line. Possibly the question marks over his aerial ability at 15 at international level, but for me, I just I think Jared Evans is a, a player who really gets the outside backs outside him. Uh, he organises them super well, and he gets do you think them he's as, Do you think he's as highly rated by the current coaching no. team at Cardiff oh. as, the pre, as Danny Wilson's team? Uh, yeah, it's a good point. Um, I think he probably is. Okay. Um, I thought you were going to say by. Um, by Gatland and Co. Then, because I'm not sure he's, I'm not sure he's necessarily convinced um, convinced the Welsh management just yet. And I personally, he's suggesting I, that if Sam Davis pr- pr- progressed, that they would be more they would be more man- minded to give him a place in the squad than they would Jared Evans. No, I think they will go with Patchell, Anscombe, and uh, and Dan Bigger. I think, I think you just have bigger in there for, for experience and, you know, I, I think that's what they will go for. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a really difficult one because, again, you think that biggest, you know, he's bound to be a good influence in, in training. And, you know, if I'm saying there about, uh, you know, about Patchell, you know, possibly the one area he needs to, to improve on a bit is his, is his defence. Well, you know, learning from someone like Dan Bigger is, is going to be no, is going to be no bad thing, is it? So, you know, even in, in training, it, it probably isn't a, a bad thing, but at the same time, I would just like to see. I think Jared Evans could be that that kind of that wild card come the World Cup, where you've got him in and around the squad, and and he could unleash havoc if if needed. Again, could just be my kind of overly romantic, um, the little fella. Yeah, the desire to have the the kind of <laughs> the more attacking players in there, and uh, it could be that. But you know, you I don't know. Go. I think I, he's I a proper talent. 
Mike Kerfoot, Luke Morgan makes the Welsh squad for the World Cup, and then you know, that's that's the uh, that's my that's my tiny bloke syndrome. I don't think that's person. I don't think that's um, unrealistic. I think he's been he's what a well, I say a find. You know, we discussed this on last week's podcast. There are these players around the seventh circuit who can more than do a job at. At regional level, I, you know, I think Luke Morgan has been fantastic. His his pace is terrifying. His you know step is fantastic. And I, I thought yesterday the way he took his try by holding it with his face and fending off with the other hand, and then finishing yeah. in you know in proper kind of in proper uh, what's the words acrobatic style in the corner. Yeah. I, you know that that's just out and out fantastic ball skills. You know I. We've we've been we've been lacking this in the in the kind of the wider channels of late for Wales and I you know I wouldn't be surprised if he snuck into the autumn squad. Yeah, well it's it's the gas, isn't it? The yeah. gas is a great thing. But, but but don't you but don't you just think that Owen Lane is the he's the opposite of our little fella, our romantic little mm. fella? But but I really like him as well. You know he's yeah, he's. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, again, the way the way he took his the way he took his try that, that got Cardiff back in the game. Um, you know, again, he, I, I don't think he wants to play on the wing. I, I think he he said a number of times he, he wants to play in the centre. And I've, you know, I, I don't think I've seen him play much in the in the centre. You know, he's he's just done such a good job on the wing. Um, you know, I, I just like we said right at the start of the show. I like to see players rewarded for form, and they're two wingers who are in really good form at the moment, who you're going to want to have a closer look at ahead of World Cup next year. Yeah, no, agreed. Awesome. Right, time for, uh, time for listeners' questions now. So thanks to everyone who, uh, who got in touch. Couldn't get, can't get through all of them, but we've got, um, we've got a good four to get through now. And if you want to have your, uh, have your say in next week's show or let us know what you think about any of, these, uh, any of these things or anything we've discussed on the show, get in touch with us at Attacking Scrum on Twitter. Make sure you like our Facebook page. We've got a Facebook group that's called Wales Rugby Fans that is absolutely exploding at the moment. There's so many people joining that on a daily basis. So head over there if, uh, if you want to chat more rugby as well. Right, um, so this is question number one coming from uh, Mitchell Palooza on Twitter. And he says, after Moriarty and Toby Falatau, where is the depth for Welsh number eight? Is that something that concerns you a bit, Justin? I guess if we, you know, as somebody who just only worries about the bad things in life, uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, it's, but I think the flexibility of the back row at the moment means that we could start with, with probably three or four different, um, three of, you know, three or four different lineups. Uh, Navidi again comes into the reckoning. Mm-hmm. And if you've got, uh, if you have, if you have enough height and, uh, Physicality around around him. That's I think that's fine. He's he's not the sort of player that ever goes backwards anyway. I yeah. I guess I worry about tight head props. <laughs> I worry mm. about uh, I worry about strength and depth. There's, there's not many places nowadays, are there? Even in two seasons ago, we were all fretting like crazy about centres, yep. thinking there aren't any in the, in the and I, I, I'd still think we could do with two or three other centres who were pushing the main protagonist, but at least we've got three or four centres you know will do a job. Yeah, I mean, Hadley Park, again, you know, I talk about building a, a back division around 
around Reese Patchell, it looks as though that back division is going to be built around Hadley Parks for the World Cup because he is just so defendable. Um, you know, he, he kicks well, he's incredibly strong, and he's got good ball skills. You know, he's your archetypal kind of Kiwi centre, really, isn't he? You know, someone who's, who's obviously learnt all of his rugby in, in New Zealand and brought it over here. He's, you're right, you know, centre just doesn't seem like a, like a problem anymore, you know, especially if, if Foxy's fully fit. And then you've got Scott Williams, you've got Watkin coming through. It, it all of a sudden looks a lot more healthy. But eight is one of those positions that for the last couple of years, you know, especially with Dan Baker being out for, you know, he's, he's, he's not played any rugby for 18 months now. And that's a real concern, you know, um, whether he's going to be able to recover fully from that. I think Navidi can do a job at, at eight. You know, certainly if you're kind of saying he's a, a third choice, a third choice eight behind Moriarty and, and you know, and, and Toby as your, as your first choice. Um, so I don't know, but I, I'm sure there is another raft of, of kind of, of eights coming through. Because, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see players like Harrison Keddy get, you know, kick, kick on and have some time, you know, but, um, there's, there's a lot of back rowers that could play A2 are very also play in different positions. Mm. Uh, I mean, Harry, Harry's very, very unlucky, and we said this when we, when we met him in, in pre-season. Um, again, if anyone hasn't listened to that podcast, make sure you go back and have a, have a listen. Thanks for tearing me up for that one, Justin. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it was funny because we chatted about it, and, the, you know, Dragons are undoubtedly the, the weakest of the four regions, but... Harry, who's a really, really bright, talented player, is is going to be hard pushed to get in that squad because you've got Moriarty you know, in the Dragon squad. I mean, you've got Moriarty, who's obviously come in as a you know as a big name signing. Wainwright has been superb. You've got Ollie Griffiths, who we've already mentioned, and you've got Cud, who does a a storming job every time he comes into the side as well. So, you know, kind of it's going to be a challenge for Harry to to get game time straight away. So, you know, he's he's unlucky. It's the, it is the one area where Dragons have strength in depth. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I, yeah, you do. Falatau is all has been consistently one of the most important players in the Welsh squad, isn't he? For 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 eight years or whatever, and it's not going to be any different next no. year, without question. No, and you know, even as much as I do like Ross Moriarty, I think at international level his best position probably is six. Um, I just think, you know, to- Toby is an, we use the, the expression world-class too much, but Toby is comfortably world-class. You know, he is, on his day, can go toe-to-toe with Kieran Reid, as he showed in the Lions series. He can do it, he can do it against anyone. Um, you know, I, he can do it up against, uh, up against Vinopola, against any of these fantastic eights. And, and so, you, to a certain degree, you're kind of just praying that, that he doesn't get injured because he is a, an absolute class act. Um, while we're on the, the, the subject, the back row then, uh, it coincides with this question that came in from Pete Harris, um, essentially asking who would be your six, seven, eight for the autumn? It's really tough as a Jack, and I find I don't quite understand why I say, why I, uh, <laughs> as you can tell, I'm struggling, suffering here. <laughs> right, so... Jenkins, Navidi, Falatau. Interesting. Um, I make one change to that, and I put in Tipperick for Navidi. I think Tipperick's been yeah. fantastic, and I think again he has been amazing. And I, you know, he's a fantastic player. He's incredible. But I just think that unit works mm. superbly well. And again, 
you just think of a player like Tipperick coming on even after 45 minutes and transforming a game. Yeah, if I was to make a change then to that, I would... Again, this is so, again, I find myself singing Josh Navidi's praise one minute and then going, he doesn't get in my 23. And I think he probably doesn't. If I was to make a change to it, my only concern with the back row I've said of Jenkins, Tipperick, Falatau would be just having another big ball carrying option. And if that's the case, then you look and go, okay, well, actually, I probably would look at maybe Moriarty at six and then Jenkins to seven. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I was just so impressed with, with Tipperick again yesterday where, I just find it strange that people question his physicality ever. You know, he's, he's so underrated over the ball. And every, you know, where he's, whether it be the choke tackle, whether it be just making a nuisance of himself at that time, he does so much donkey work that I don't think he gets, that he gets credit for. And I feel like he has, because he's done so much of that, either coming off the bench or, I don't know if you remember, there was a, a period where he couldn't even get on the bench and they preferred James King as the replacement um, on the bench. And no disrespect to James King, he's a fine player, but Tipperick, again, for me, is, is out and out class. And I think it's time just to, to give him a proper run in, in the seven shirt. So for me, yeah, I would, I, I'd, I, I would go with him, I think. It's a genuine shame that he appeared to have smashed his nose up again for <laughs> probably the 437th time. It's like, it was so comical. He's putting his fingers up his nose, he's yeah. stuffing any kind of suture that you could find. <laughs> that, uh, it was, <laughs> and meanwhile, having a conversation with Nigel Owens with something hanging out of a nostril, going, yes, yes, sir. yeah, yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> After having clearly sort of tapped the ball conveniently out of the rug with his foot. He's, he's, a, he's incredible. His, I, I, I agree with you about the graft. He's a grafter. Yeah. He works. There's, he's, but as soon as he got the ball in the wide, wide left channel, you just thought, here we go, that's it. And he yeah. keeps the line straight and it's try. You know, lethal, lethal. He is. While you mentioned Nigel Owens there, let's bring it, let's bring it on to this because that has been a, a big source of a lot of chat on social media over the weekend. And this question has come through from Owen Hughes who says, thoughts, simply says thoughts on Nigel Owens' performance. Um, I'm going to start with this one just because I think, again, being neutral on the matter, being neither, neither, uh, Ospreys or Scarlets, I looked at that game and I thought he made, he didn't have his best game. And I thought he made decisions that went against the Ospreys and decisions that went against the Scarlets. Probably the bigger, the bigger two decisions, um, i.e. The, the George North try and the not binning Luke Morgan, um, you know, probably went against the Scarlets. But I thought he got, he got stuff wrong on both sides for me. Yeah, it was strange. The, the, the fact that he didn't want to bin people and, and have an influence on the game seemed to be a, an issue. That, that almost keep them all on the pitch, keep them all playing. He also had to, he had to almost ignore the amount of uh, nonsense going around mm. on the, on the, at the breakdown and, you know, so much chops in left, <laughs> right and centre that you just, he, he rose above it and went to another, he went to a, another place, a happier place. That wasn't Parker Scarlett. And uh, the, the funniest thing, I, I, don't, I caught it on the ref mic, but I don't know who said it, who turned around and said, 
I don't know. I don't understand what you say. What you're saying because you said it in Welsh. <laughs> and and Owens replied, uh, I I said you were doing just fine. <laughs> I must have missed that completely, actually. I was laughing my head off. But uh, he should have carded Ospreys. They were they they, they did transgress numerous yeah. occasions, and I think it would have been. Uh, yeah, it would, and it's the Morgan true. issue, the Morgan thing was, a, was yeah. yeah, that was a very he strange. He seemed really, really reluctant to yeah. shift the shift the balance in the game and to not make it, uh, uh, which is not. I, I I don't know, I don't know, uh, I don't know whether any referee walks into a game and says this is kind of what my game plan is, or whether they just see what's in front of them. But it just felt like that. Yeah, sure, it's sure. true. But then, you know, I, I think just again, you, you look at those ones. There was a, there was a, a brilliant turnover from Blade Thompson on, uh, on, uh, on, on his own line. And he had one hand, he had one hand down on the floor while he, mm. while he picked the ball out with the other. So, mm. you know, there was all of these kind of decisions. But anyway, it's, yeah. it's very interesting to, to kind of watch because it seemed that he upset both sets of fans. But, but there we go. Um, right, final question. This is from Aaron Anthony. What's the real reason Steph Evans is playing for the Scarlet's A team? I really have no idea, except the fact that he sent a um, an Instagram message to my daughter the other week. So maybe he's distracted. Is that right? By yeah, by um, following <laughs> beautiful twenty-one-year-olds on social media. Maybe maybe that's it. Yeah, and I was gobsmacked. <laughs> that's my reasoning. Can she, said, can she go back and ask if he wants to come on this podcast, by the way? <laughs> it was just a little hand wave. It was, it was nothing sinister at all. It was innocent enough. But I just thought, that's so bizarre. Yeah. There's no links between, you know, I've never met any, you know, so there's absolutely, absolutely nowhere. No, no rugby links, <laughs> no nothing. Uh, yeah, very strange. It's, it's I, a bit I of a concern, though, isn't it? Because you know, I, he had, surely, surely, there's something going on we don't know about that isn't just about form. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a tough one because I remember saying the same thing about Dan Jones last season, and you know, I think he was he was certainly playing Premiership rugby. I think I think Lenethley, and um, you thought, you know, at this point, you were saying, well, actually, Scarlets in certain games could benefit from having a more functional kicking 10 mm. and then you know later on in the season he goes on and plays a, a pivotal role in the in the European run I know he obviously he's, he's kind of subsequently not started this season particularly well either um, but you know you kind of you wonder whether it could just be that you know whether he's still struggling for fitness but yeah I mean it, it does seem I, I suppose that the thing with the Scots is they just do have more strength than any of the other regions so invariably some people are going to miss out and Obviously, McNichol was injured for a lot of last year. He's back fit and firing now. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't know whether there is something more to it or he's, he's just kind of, you know, that's the way Pivak operates and says, right, go on, earn your place back. I quite like that. That's something that Pivak, obviously, there always seem to be, at, go, they go to lengths to demonstrate the camaraderie in the, within the squad. Yeah. And Pivak, Pivak seems to be, just one of the boys a lot of the time. Uh, so uh, it, it, that's one of the things that worries me a little bit about the idea of stepping up to international mm. rugby. But the, the ability to 
make the odds curious decision along those lines is, uh, I think is a, it's a good thing because it keeps everybody thinking. Yeah, no, I, I've always been a fan of, you know, kind of, like, like again, this is, seems to be the recurring theme of this, of this week's podcast, but picking players on form and making them earn their right, you know, earn their, earn their place in the side. And obviously, you know, he, he did pick up a very nasty injury in the, in the summer, mm-hmm. so it could just be a case of he's not fit enough to be playing the kind of rugby that the Scarlets want to play. So it, it could be that, and, you know, I, I guess we'll see. But it's, it's a concern for him because at the moment he won't make that, that Wales squad for me. No, not me either. I think I'm really excited about seeing what Josh Adams can do in the yields, and that's one of the the main wins from the summer, wasn't it? Yeah, he was. He was absolutely superb. Um, and yeah, in fact, that leads us perfectly on to any other business. The last bit of the show. Uh, so yeah, Josh Adams. Seemingly, there seems to be a bit of an arm wrestle going on between Ospreys and Dragons as to who is going to sign him next year. Um, article today saying Ospreys have distanced themselves. You would imagine if the, the WRU are serious about bringing him back, Dragons would probably be the, you know, he would probably come in there as one of the, the more marquee signings, considering that they own they own the region now. Um, I mean, is he definitely going to come back? I saw an interview with him at the start of the season, very diplomatic, saying, you know, I've, I've got to be thankful for, for what Worcester have done because Welsh Regional Rugby turned its back on me. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know what his feelings are and whether he's going to be strategic about it. Obviously, he's seeing other players like Gareth Owen and people like that mm. thrive on thrive in Premiership environment, and he's done fabulously well. He's they they he seems to be one of the most respected players. Everybody always has tremendous things to say about him. It's not like he's going under the radar. Yeah, I, I think as well though. I you know. I, I think it's testament to his character that, he's, that he kind of says that about Worcester and fair play to him. But I think everyone at that club would understand his decision to, to come back. And you see, you know, you see him kind of crying when he's singing the anthem and, uh, and how much it obviously meant to him to earn that, that very first Wales cap. I don't think he's going to be in a hurry to, to not, um, to, you know, to put himself at a, at a disadvantage. So I do think, he, I do think he'll come back, actually. Well, he he wouldn't he he probably wouldn't make the there's no chance of making the squad, is there? So if he doesn't, so yeah, yeah exactly. He just has to, really. Yes, indeed. But we've got some very interesting rugby before we get into the Autumn Internationals. Uh, Heineken Cup is back next week. And uh, here's a, a quick recap of the, the fixtures. So um, Scarlets take on Racing 92 at Parking Scarlets on Saturday evening. Uh, that is going to be a humdinger, actually, isn't it? Very tough start. But, you know, given their, given their heroics last season... It's uh, it's a very very exciting one. Do you think that Scarlets are? We, we always measure them against. Again, we're measuring people against their very best or mm. teams against their very against their very best performances. And clearly, that's not happening yet. Do you think it's just a case of having suddenly they find their verve from somewhere, or is it a case that James Davis's absence is, is so significant? Or you know, what do you think that's down to? I, th- I, I think it is significant, undoubtedly. Um, but again, we've, you know, we've said this numerous times on this podcast that Scarlett's ability to unearth players who can step up and, 
and fill the void has been the key to their success for me. You know, when huge rafts of the players have been away on international duty, you have had the likes of, you know, McLeod and, and Will Boyd step up and, and really do a job. And I think this is it now. You know, I think this is massive for whoever they choose to pick at seven um, this week. You know, Blade Thompson, I'm not saying he's filled the Tigburn void just yet, but he is a massive talent. Yeah, There's no doubt about brilliant it. Brilliant signing, yeah. Um, and Kennedy is such a crafter. Yeah, exactly. You know, they they seem to have have done it again. Uh, you know, in kind of an, obviously Thompson is a, a player who's we know a lot more about. But you know, again, Kennedy's a player who's playing his rugby at, at Randwick. You know, not even at, at super level. So looks as though they may have done it again. That said, Rassing is a you know is a, is a massive step up and always will be in the um, in the Heineken Cup. So you know the resources that they that have at their disposal. I think that I'm so impressed by the Scarlet's front row, the way they're playing at the moment, that I just think that I would start, I'd start that front row that's mm. playing, you know, with Wynne Jones at the, at the, you know, happily. It's just so much, you know, they really are a tough nut to crack. Again, another player who a couple of seasons ago has stepped up and proven that he's more than an able deputy for, for Rob Evans. And in some, you know, in some departments of the game, he's, um, you know, particularly scrummaging. He's, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's arguably even better than the, than the first choice. So, you know, he's, players like that have been absolutely crucial to them. I think it's going to be a fascinating game. I hope it stays dry because, again, I, I do think that will just, it suits the Scarlets that much better to be able to, to play that style of rugby that we like and um, we like to see. But, yeah, it's a, an absolute monster of a, a game to start. Uh, the game on Sunday, uh, Cardiff Blues are away at Lyon. That's a, I think that's a 1 p.m. kickoff. And, you know, again, Blues, it's, it's been really interesting because arguably I don't think they've played that well um, <laughs> at certain points. I think the Munster game aside, I don't think they've been that good, but they could very easily have won every single game uh, that they've played in this season. I think they, uh, they've... In purely in terms of um, what they've achieved, they if you think about the start of last season and what a, how lame they were and how it, how they then ticked in, they slowly ticked into gear. They haven't. I, I I worried that they would go back to square one again with a new coach and with all the changes and stuff like that. But they haven't. So I, I I'm I'm very optimistic about about. Um, the, the Blues all, you know, what their potential is this mm. season. They're definitely, they're definitely not going to be going back to the not so, in, not so impressive days of 12 months, 18 months ago. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I, I think one thing, one thing is for sure though, I think this, this is the big test now. You know, they've, they've had some games where they've, they've, they've thrown leads away that they, they should have, games they should have won. They, they were fantastic against Munster and, and put them to bed. Dragons, they cannot afford to play like they did against Dragons in the first half um, yeah. because they, they won't be coming back from that against the side like Leon. Um, but if they, if they piece it all together, all the, all the individual elements are there. You know, they've got some class individuals and they, they've shown at, at points they can blow sides away and they just need to, just need to show that bloody killer instinct to, to kind of, you know, put the foot on the throat and, and, um, you know, really finish the job. So it, it is, it's a massive game, and I think it's, it, it could be a bit of a, you know, a real season definer. Um, 
these early games in the Heineken Cup for them. Because if they can get a, a run on the game, their confidence will soar again. There's always one or two mad, brilliant away wins during a season, and that could be one of them. Yeah, yeah, it could be. And I, I always get a bit frustrated when, you know, teams kind of head into games just thinking getting out with a losing bonus point would would be a good result because, you know, a losing bonus point is a good result if you're getting hammered at one point and you sneak something back. Because if it, if you're in the game for long enough, you know, I think you, you should always be disappointed with a losing bonus point. But I don't know. What do I know? Um, and then the, the final two games of the, the weekend, which are um, in, the, in the Challenge Cup. So Tim Sara versus the Dragons and Ospreys versus Poe. If you are Alan Clark or Bernard Jackman, are you taking this, this competition seriously? Are you looking at it and thinking, right, it's a good opportunity to build momentum? Or do you think, right, everything's on the league now? The received wisdom is that you, you take it seriously because look what happened to the Blues and mm. blah, blah, blah. And it, um, but it's not so easy to have that if you are bereft of a lot of your players or if you're worried about losing three or four frontline players. So I suppose in the Dragons' case... It would be worrying, and I think I, I worry about the things I worry about with the Ospreys are if Sam Davis gets a bad knock or anything. But nobody's nobody picks a team worrying about injuries, do they? You just got to go for it. You know, yeah. Europe, you got you've got to go for it. And I, I this, this strategic selection thing is understandable in a professional environment, but it's not what it's not what any of the fans want. Nobody. Why would we income? You know, why would we inhibit ourselves and say, "Oh yeah, you know, we understand. Let's send out a second-string team and get a drop in." Mm. You know, our um, our ambitions are often greater than the ambitions of the people who run the club in a way, because they're trying to manage the club. We're, we're just fans, so we want them to go out and and win all the time and play their best teams. You know. Yeah, I think I think you're I think you're uh, you're absolutely right, and I think we're both on the the same page when it comes to that. But uh, yeah, we'll be glued to the glued to the telly uh, next weekend with with those games. And then very final point, um, a big congratulations to Josh Turnbull who clocked up a uh, hundred games for the Cardiff Blues this weekend, and he'd also done the same thing for the Scarlets um, in his time down there as well. So uh, big congratulations to him. Hoping to get him on the podcast at some point as well, and for no other reason than the fact that currently in our fantasy 15 of, of players uh, who've been on this podcast, the second row is currently myself and Kai Griffiths. So a, uh, a, a prop forward uh, a prop forward, and a, um, a man who's never played above second team rugby in his life. So, uh, Mind you, I wouldn't, have, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to be lifting Kai, would you? And, uh, you know. Uh, no, and also I don't think Kai would want to be lifting me either. So um, yeah, we're we're a bit inhibited when it comes to when it comes to line out time. I'll tell you though, having watched Kai at at, uh, at London Welsh, he he does get around the park. You know, he doesn't look like a prop forward when he's got the when he's got the four or five jersey on. So uh, yeah, fair, yeah, fair fair play to him. He's uh, he's doing a fine job. And strangely, yeah. they were involved in a nil draw yesterday, which is wow. very very uh, very very strange indeed. But um, 
yeah, uh, they, they, they have started the season well uh, other than that. But yeah, that brings us to a, uh, the end of this week's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Yes, then thanks for joining us. And uh, of course, we'll, uh, we'll know that catch up with you at some point throughout the season. And finally, uh, a thank you to our sponsors as well at socoffeetrades.co.uk. Make sure you, uh, you do check that out if you're a coffee lover. Right, so we'll be back to chat with you uh, after the first round of European fixtures next week. Podcast Network.